Hey everyone, how you doing? This is Amon Green, the Green Bay Packers all-time leading rusher, and you're listening to The Average Cheese, hosted by Dell and Todd, two lifelong Packer fans talking about their favorite team, the 13-time champion, Green Bay Packers. Go Pack Go! So welcome to episode 137 of the Average Cheese Podcast. It's the whole family for episode 137. Thanks to Rhonda and the folks at RM Management. Thanks to Dwight at ddgcustoms.com. And thanks to Dan and the folks at Bob Anderson Builders. Peter, it's episode 137. 37 is... 37 is Sam Shields. And that was the first name that came to my mind when I you know, realized it was episode 137. And we remember him well from that Super Bowl team in, in 2010. Also a nice story because he, he played you know, the majority of his college career at wide receiver and was a speed guy. You know, Ran the 40 in 4.3 flat. And it wasn't until his senior season at the University of Miami that he started playing some corner. Went undrafted in that draft, which would have been, I guess it would have been 2010, actually. So went undrafted, was signed as a free agent by the by the Packers after the draft. And was actually one of those guys, we see quite a lot of them now, who become one of them free agents after the draft that lots of teams start going after. He was that guy and got a pretty decent free agent contract. Yeah, worked his way to be the starter on that on that 2010 team. And I remember a couple of plays in particular, I think in the playoffs, I think against Philadelphia, there was a big play right at the end of the game. I want to say in the Chicago game, he in the NFC Championship game was an interception that closed out the game. And yeah, it was part of that Packers team, as I say, that, that won the Super Bowl in, in 2010 and had a, what, a seven-year career with the Packers, 19 interceptions across that across that time was a pro bowler yeah so one of the really nice pickups for a guy that wasn't drafted i think he's a guy that we we all remember as a really good corner you know playing opposite charles woodson and those guys and sam shields super super player from that championship team i was looking it up as you were talking in that nfc championship game in 2010 he had two picks in that game a sack and four solo tackles and forced a fumble in that game. Like he was a one-man wrecking crew all by himself in that 2010 championship game. The the reason he That's went undrafted is because he was like what in between positions or something? I think it's exactly that. I mean, he he was he was he put up some nice numbers as a wide receiver without putting up dominant numbers. Yeah. And he wasn't a permanent starter, so he kind of started, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but kind of half the games at wide receiver what in the three years he played there and then they switched him to to corner so i guess yeah i guess that's exactly the reason he went un, undrafted but obviously you know a super super athlete and for how did his career come to an end though was it was it injuries i don't know uh, yeah that's a uh, that's a that's a good point concussion wasn't it he was oh he was. had 2016 with the packers he had a Bad concussion. Yeah, and only played the one game that year and was concussed and then never came back to play for the Packers. So that was 2016, wow. 2017. He didn't play. He did come back and play in 2018 for the Rams. You're absolutely right. And I should have mentioned that. Yeah. His Packers career kind of came to a sudden end, didn't it, with that con- concussion early in 2016? That would have been his seventh year. So they could have bet, you know, they would likely have got three, four, you know, would have played for another three, four, five years, maybe. He started his first NFL game as an undrafted free agent. How far do you have to move up the depth chart from you weren't drafted by us, but we're going to start you like that's a pretty fast rise. And that, I mean, that just shows how much talent and athletic ability that man had, especially playing a new position and then moving to the NFL after, you know, not really doing that ever. That's pretty awesome. Great player, Sam Shields. So we have questions from friends. In fact, it's only Eric from Greendale has questions. He says, Jair Alexander is good when healthy, but rarely is recently. Would you consider possibly dealing him in a trade? And if so, what would it yield? Todd, would you deal number 23 
before the trade deadline if you could get something decent in return? Holy cow. That is a great question. Because Eric's right. Uh, I'm like more stumped. Often. More often recently. Would you deal him? Uh, I'm going to say no. It goes back to Peter's philosophy of you only get those types of types of shutdown corners. It's rare. Those are rare finds. With that said, I'm going to say no. If it was a first round draft pick, which it wouldn't be, maybe I would entertain it, but it, but it wouldn't, wouldn't be. be. Right. Yeah. There, there's no chance of that. No, I, I think he's Too he's bad. one of those players that you have to have on on the team in order for it to operate, and 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 it's a rare occurrence, right, to have a shutdown corner like him. So no, Peter, the next one's for you. At this point, do we consider a fire sale and deal Aaron Jones or Preston Smith for draft picks? Preston Smith, yes, not on the basis that, that he's a bad player or anything like that, because he's still a very talented player but it's a position that you do have depth at and you've got a lot of depth at that spot. So for me, the the answer is yes. On the proviso, you get a decent draft pick in return. And I've not even given that any thought as to what that would be. What would another team give up for Preston Smith? That's the thing, isn't it? They'd give up a fourth round pick, maybe a fifth round pick. Then you're saying, is that worth it? It still may be worth it, right? And that's nothing against Preston Smith. This is about... I'm now looking to 2024. I've clearly drafted Lucas Van Ness as Preston Smith's eventual replacement. I've got Kingsley Enigbare. I've got those guys. I've even got Cox, who I think is a good player. I would consider that, yeah. Aaron Jones is, is a difficult one. And, and, I, and I think that I don't think this team right now can do without Aaron Jones. I think that's been proven. I think the difficult one is, is does he play on his current contract next year? And the answer might well be no. And that and that would be the thing that you'd have to consider. That said, if he's not going to be a Packer next year because of his contract, and I don't know that that's the situation, but it is a possibility, do I just bite the bullet now? But again, it's about what would you get back for him? And you're also accepting, and it might be the right thing to accept, but you're also accepting right now that I've given up on this season. If I trade Aaron Jones, I've given up on the 2023 season. Well, not only have you given up on this season if you deal Aaron Jones you're not bringing AJ Dillon back or maybe you have to at that point otherwise no, you no. well right well right but then you have nothing you well, are starting with Emmanuel Wilson well and, and they've picked up James Robinson the guy off waivers that was a thousand yard rusher at, at Jacksonville right and I mm. wonder how long it takes for him to, I wonder if he's right even if he's not the dynamic guy he was as a rookie before he got hurt, he gets the NFL game. I am a little surprised that it was Emmanuel Wilson and not James Robinson. I wonder where he's at physically. I, that would be interesting. Yeah, and I, and I think that that's where your head has to be, is that is that it's going to take him two or three weeks to kind of get up to speed. And then it'll be interesting to see how they, how they play that. You also have to know that at that position, that's a one position where I can get guys. But it's a really difficult one because... Aaron Jones is the one explosive player, the one, almost the one player that you feel that you can count on on the on the offense when he's when he's, when he's not right, hurt. and he's yeah. still not right. And I will take the last. Should the Packers just tank and pick up one of the top quarterbacks available in next year's draft? I say no. I say no because one, you're going to end up as this season. They don't have to tank to get a good draft pick. They're going to have a good draft pick this year. Even if they try to win games, the, the easy part of the schedule was the beginning. But at the same time, there are too many holes on this. If you pick Caleb Williams, Caleb Williams is still throwing to guys who have not produced in the NFL. He's going to have guys blocking for him who have not produced in the NFL. He's going to have a defense that doesn't seem to be able to turn the ball over and give it back to him or stop the run. There is too many gaping holes. I think, yes, you need a game changer, but I don't think it's at quarterback. I think you go get a tackle. You go get, I don't know, you get someone who can change the game. I haven't given up on Jordan Love yet enough to think that Caleb Williams or Drake May or whoever it's going to be is going to be that much better than what we have to pick with the first pick. I think we need to wind in a little bit about Caleb Williams. There's some areas that he needs to work on. Let's just let's just let's just say that. You know, would the Packers be better off, as you said, you know, if they end up with a top top five, yeah, unless they have the number one pick, it ain't Caleb Williams anyway. But but, right. but if they end up with a top five pick, Marvin Harrison, 
Yeah, I know you hate to take a wide receiver that high and whatever, but when you haven't invested in that position forever, then there comes a point where you say, that's what I might do at that pick. Whether he's going to be there when they pick, you know, where's Marvin Harrison going to go? Three in the draft, maybe? If Caleb Williams and, and, and Drake May are the top two, and I'm, we're just supposing now, you know, right. almost six six months before the draft. And, and the funny thing is that the whole thing about tanking, I remember, as you guys will, 1988 Packers, who were 2-12 and 12 through 14 games and owned the number one pick in the draft. And then went and won their last two games, including beating the playoff-bound Minnesota Vikings, won the last two games and ended up with the number two pick that turned into Tony Mandarich. Yep. So that team couldn't even couldn't even tank properly. I generally don't think teams tank anyway. Players are playing for their jobs, but I do think it can become more difficult for those teams if talents like Aaron Jones, for example, in our example, were were, were traded away or or whatever. But the general point of the question, it would be a year too early for me to give up on 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 Jordan Love. I think you've made this investment to this point. It's help needed at all kinds of different positions, wide receiver, offensive tackle, et cetera, et cetera. All right. Thanks, Eric. Is Eric the only friend we've got? <laughs> He's <laughs> the only friend with questions this week. You know, on a team that is, I don't think, very talented, we cannot afford to be injured. I read an article by Bill Huber, Sports Illustrated, talked about how healthy the Packers have been historically 2020 2021 2022 this is the year it all catches up and this is the year where they don't have anybody behind these guys who are even close to the level of the starter it's a bad year to be injured stokes comes back from his liz frank injury which was a big deal right hadn't played in the longest and gets hurt again why was he on special teams i mean i get that you want him on the field but why how did that decision come about? You just want to get him into game speed and you throw him on special teams? I don't know about that. When your number <laughs> one corner is not even in the game. Right. He doesn't play special teams at all. Questionable management. And now he's hurt. Savage came back and got hurt. Hurt the same calf, I'm going to assume, in this game. Yeah. I didn't hear anything about Devontae Wyatt today. Did you guys hear any updates on Devontae it's a Wyatt? Knee. It's the same knee. So he was, I think he was questionable for the game with a knee and then went out with the knee. He got carted off. I mean, he got to the sideline, then was carted. It wasn't carted off the field. You know, you hate to see that happen to anybody, but you especially hate to see that happen to a guy that this year was the year when he was really starting to come through and progress and start to be what we'd all hoped he would be in that first round draft pick and just, just hate it. And Watson hurt his knee. Did you see that? Yeah. So again, yes. so I didn't watch the game other than the condensed version that I watched right before we went on. I didn't see exactly what happened. And then when he got to the sideline, he like collapsed basically and was on his back, like in the white painted area. You know, as you just come off the sideline, he was like, boom, went down. I don't know what that was all about, but I didn't know that Dontavian Wicks was hurt. When I watched the yeah. condensed version before right before this, Dontavian Wicks looks like the best wide receiver out there right now. I'd agree. I don't even know what to say about that. I know that he's a rookie, but Peter, you talked about Dontavian Wicks, complete receiver. Yeah. He's fast enough. I know that that was the rub that he wasn't super fast, but he's getting open and he's making plays. I mean, I, I just think the general point about the number of injuries and the point you made, you know, as we started this section, that obviously you don't want injuries at the best of times, but this is a team that can least afford to have this level of injuries because of that lack of depth that you referred to. And, you know, when you're a young team, youngest team in, in the NFL, you, you don't have guys that can just come and fill in. And there's a reason guys are starters and there's a reason guys are backups take the wide receiver group it's a, a rookie group or a second year group of wide receivers that are still learning the game who's stepping in for second year and rookie guys or just... second year and rookie guys <laughs> todd you're the beater upper of brian gudikins was yes. it a mistake to not sign some veterans to this young team Ooh. are you thrown off because i said the beater upper which is bad grammar <laughs> <laughs> coming from a teacher right of 30 years Exactly. Um, gosh, I would love to pile on Gutenkust anytime I have a chance, but um, I'm kind of on the fence on that one. If I'm being completely honest, maybe the right amount of vets in the right amount in the right different areas of the offense or defense are beneficial. 
but maybe too many are you're not giving people enough chance to to actually play and and be be in their own skin so i kind of get you know like i i can get behind either philosophy either no veteran leadership and just let guys find their way like the school of hard knocks almost kind of you know like take your lumps as they come there might be a lot of learning opportunities in there so yeah i I think i'm on the fence on that i think that was it i mean it's i mean it always feels like the packers have more injuries than other teams but that's probably not the case we're just so focused on our on our own team but this year is just particularly bad and it seems to be you know a lot of the starters you know Bakhtiari and now Wyatt and Watson and Jair Alexander and Campbell. exactly yeah Stokes you know it's, it's just a team that can least afford to have those injuries is having those injuries Todd I just want to see what you would say because you're either going to go all in on the youth movement or you sprinkle some veterans in that's what you're saying, right? Yeah. And I yeah. get it. Then as fans, we have to understand that this is what we're going to get. We're going to get mistakes yeah. and lots of them. And we're going to get them in critical moments. That's why we're losing football games. And we'll get into that in a second. And I think the other thing to add to that, I mean, I think it's obviously it's nice to have the odd veteran and whatever, but you've got to get the right guys in and the guys that are going to produce. And then what happens when you get the veteran in and you don't have these injuries, you know, is he now just taking playing time away from a Dontavian Wicks or what? It's a, it's a really difficult one to, you know, just, just bringing in a veteran doesn't necessarily give you an upgrade you know it's it's a it's a very difficult balance fine line to 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 balance on that is they're usually more useful on the offensive side of the ball when you look at it i mean like you don't really have like kind of like the traveling defensive guy to kind of like be that embedded coach maybe but i think there, there's more opportunities on the off- offensive side of the ball and i think in retrospect you know and i think it's becoming more and more paramount is leadership they need some leaders in there and i, and I guess that's a different position, obviously, but that's kind of thing that Mercedes Lewis gave. You know that that kind of veteran leadership, guys that have been through it, guys yeah. that can lift other guys in the locker room, that kind of thing. And that's what you don't get when you've got rookies and second year guys. You know, you can't you can't have everything. And I don't mean to drag this out. You need a guy that wants to lead. You also need a guy that wants to coach younger guys because that's not every guy. We talked about Brett Favre not being that guy. There are plenty of guys in the league that are just trying to stay in the league. They are not about to make Isaiah McDuffie or Eric Stokes better or Keyshawn Nixon better. They're just guys that want to stay in the league. So, right. The other part of that, do we have the right coaching staff to coach up young players? And I'm not going to beat up on Anna Bustinovich, but but I'm just going to use him as an example. He is a offensive line coach by trade, and now he's the offensive coordinator. I know LaFleur is an offensive guy, but you need a guy as your offensive coordinator who is going to scheme guys, going to help get guys open and scheme so that A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones can run the football. He's learning on the job. Does he have that ability right now? I'd say he doesn't. And I think that's the the learning on the job thing. You know, has to happen. Happens with all coaches, all players. You know, they all, we all start somewhere. I think the difficulty is, particularly when the team's struggling. Again, it's the same thing. You know, you look to those veteran coaches that have been through it before. Those coaches that you know of, have a track record of of lifting players, of doing this, of doing that. You know, that's where you look for an offensive guy. You know, do you pull in an offensive consultant who's a 65-year-old guy but that's been knocking around? You know, they got Tom Clements back in, for example, as the quarterback's coach. Do you look for a kind of consultant-type guy that's been knocking around the league for a long time that can come and help? It feels like, and just from the outside looking in, you know, it just feels like that kind of presence is needed. All right, let's get on to it. The good, the bad, the ugly. Broncos, 19, Packers, 17. It's so painful to even say those words. It could have been 19 nothing, or should have been. Yeah, expound on that. Well, neither of those touchdowns, those were garbage. The touch, the two touchdowns we scored were garbage. I don't know if you saw the, the Dobbs catch. That's an interception by rule. No, by that's rule. not what they were saying on the TV. They said it was the offensive player. No. Peter? Peter? I'm pretty sure if it's two, so this is my interpretation and Peter will probably set the record straight, but if it's a 50-50 ball, both meaning both players literally catch the ball at the same time and have possession of it, the player with two feet down first is who the ball goes to. Well, no, there's an interesting point. So simultaneous, simultaneous catch goes to the offense. But it has to be a catch. So you're absolutely right from that point. It's not a simultaneous catch until the catch is complete i'd have to go and see it again i think it's what 
it's one of those let's let's put it like this i think we all remember that seattle game from five six seven years ago many years ago it was right at the end of the game not the championship game the one where not the one where i threw my cell phone through the wall but the fail the fail mary right that's what it's called right yeah it was one of those when you watched it live, you thought, "I'm just not sure." So I was just happy that they right. called it called it a touchdown. And yeah, the Seattle game when they had the re- re- yeah. replacement replacement refs. refs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The way they were talking about it on the TV, they were, you know, the game moved on. Like there was no challenges, there was no nothing. Yeah. Like the game just kind of like rolled by. And the broadcast that I was watching was it was on Netflix. Yeah. So and they were talking about the feet and how the feet coming down dictated, you know, when there's a 50 50 when, the, when so, the catch is mine. Yeah. And it was it, and it's clearly the defender. I mean, there is no disputing it. And the other one, the ricochet off of Dobbs to Reed. I mean, that was just luck. So those those are yeah, I mean, two garbage touchdowns, essentially. Okay, maybe maybe it should have been nineteen three. Carlson missed one and he kicked another. Okay, so the good, the bad, and the ugly on offense. Let's do that now. <laughs> Not to set the tone or anything. Right. <laughs> Peter, what what did the Packers do well offensively on Sunday? Well, I guess for the first time this season, they got a decent running game going. So they had, I can't remember the numbers, 137 yards rushing. 37 yards rushing, yes. At 4.7 yards a pop. And I know that Love had like 21 of those, but even if you took those out, still 116 yards rushing. You know, they they moved the football pretty well on the ground. I, I, I guess the... The caveat to that was that it was inconsistent in that they had a number of carries that were for negative yards or one yard, and then they popped one, which kind of raised the average. But we've been calling for that running game to get going all season, so we can't grumble at 137 yards on the ground. So that was the first real good for me. For me, it's just, well, it goes off what you said, but balance. Jordan Love didn't have to throw it 44 times in this game, even though they were down almost the entire game. They didn't throw it, throw it, throw it. They kept plugging away at it. They ran the ball 29 times and they threw it 32. I think in a game that you're losing, that's that's great. That is trying to figure out what is working for you, regardless of the score. I like that from the floor. At some point, you have to start figuring out what your identity is. And if your identity is to have a balanced offense because it's working for you, great. I don't think the Packers can be a throw-only team this year with Jordan Love and be successful on offense. So I'm I'm glad that they're running the football. Todd, what else is good offensively? What else do we... Well, we talked about Dobbs and Reed, those catches or whether they were or not. Dylan finally came alive. Looked like he had a little bit of a spark. He, de- he the, the runs that he did have success on, he did have some lanes to run through. He's also the leading receiver, which is probably more towards the bad. Well, the one catch he had at, at the end there on the, on the final drive, that was probably the bulk of it. But I thought he had a good game. Probably the best of the year. Nothing like... Right. He didn't have 200 yards rushing or anything like that. And they knew that, you know, with Jones coming back, Jones was going to be on a snap count. Emmanuel Wilson came in and I thought provided a a pretty nice addition to the rushing game. I mean, I think he had two rushes for 19 yards. So it was like, well, keep giving it to him. I think he's a nice change of pace guy. Like, give him three or four carries a game. We've talked about that before. He's almost like mistake free. And he caught a couple of passes as well. He did. Um, kind of played that Patrick Taylor role, I guess. I don't know if this speaks to that Aaron Jones isn't ready to come back or they want to get a third guy the football. I guess I don't care at this point. I mean, you want Aaron Jones to have the football more than Emmanuel Wilson, but you also want to keep all three guys fresh. You want Aaron Jones to be fresh. You want A.J. Dillon to be fresh. You want to give them at least a series or two here where they can come in and when they're running the football, they're running against tired guys. A lot of the calls for Jones were like between the tackles. I'm like, what are you doing? He's going to have to run between the tackles at some point. But like, you have to be a little bit more dynamic with him, with his abilities, feature that kind of stuff. I, I felt like they, they could have bounced him outside or mixed it up a little bit differently with him. But him running through the tackles isn't like every single time isn't like going to be a recipe for success. Let's move on to the bad. I mean, you already said, yeah, A.J. Dillon was the leading receiver with 34 yards. That's not great. (laughs) I don't care if he had it all on one play or not. you got to start figuring things out. You need to be able to get the ball to your wide receivers, and you need to be able to get the ball to your tight ends, even if it's not Luke Musgrave. Nobody had over four receptions. Luke Musgrave had the most receptions at four. 
And he was out. Right. Part of it. Yeah. Cheap hit. Peter, yeah. I'm a little concerned when I watch this game. Now, granted, it's rapid fire in the condensed version. I feel like Jordan Love is hesitating. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me why. No, I think I, I so I think there's a whole ream of things going on with the passing game. And, and yeah, I, I think that um, and I know we're going to talk about the last play of the game or the interception at the, at the end of the game. A lot of his decision making is still generally sound. My issue with the, with with some of it is it's not quick, right? So it's not that he's not going to the right guy. It's not go- when we saw him coming in the Philadelphia game, and I know it was limited action and whatever last season. The one thing that he demonstrated was one, two, three, and the ball was out of there. And I know it was he was coming in as a backup late in the game and and all of that. But I think that's what gave us all hope. It wasn't yeah. that he demonstrated this or he demonstrated that. It was the fact that he got the ball out of there quickly, mm-hmm. made his decision, got the ball out. It feels like he has as this as this season's gone on, he's become more and more hesitant. And I don't know whether that's because he's playing behind an offensive line where he's getting pressured more, or just generally the mental pressure of playing from behind, which doesn't help. The mental pressure of you're now on a three-game losing streak, so everything gets magnified. I'm concerned about that. I think the other thing is, and it's difficult to see on on normal, you know, the normal TV coverage, but I don't think there's a lot of open receivers either. The other thing that concerns me, kind of dipping into the ugly a bit, but I'm going to do this anyway. The other thing that concerns me, and I'm exaggerating a little bit, but every pass either appears to be a three-yard pass or a 33-yard pass. Mm. There seems to be, hey, guys, there are some passes in between those two. You know, there don't seem to be a lot of eight-yard passes, 10-yard outs, and, and all of those, you know, a slant over the middle. There doesn't appear to be a lot of those. It's either I'm, I'm going to try and dump it off quickly to a back or I'm going down the field. And I don't know whether that's the play calling or, or what that is. It's a str- The passing game is a struggle. He's ha- he's having ag- accuracy and timing issues. Peter brought up like the, the receivers aren't getting open. I would say like sometimes they might be, and he's just not getting the ball to him in time. He's about a second or two off. And you can see it in a lot of the different uh, incompletions that happen. You know, when they do the replays and they're like, you see like, boom, they're open. Like that ball's got to already be delivered. And he's behind. He has the arm strength to do it, but he's he's not delivering the ball where it needs to be when it needs to be there. I guess is the best way I can. I'm not saying every time, but he's he's struggling <laughs> with with that. Yeah, I mean, I I 100% agree with that. And 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 as I said, I think it's it's odd because generally I think he makes the right decision about which receiver. Generally, not not always. Oh, yeah, 100% some of that. But it just doesn't seem to be coming out of there quickly. That's where I was going with that. It was one, two, three, the ball is out. Now it's one, two, three, and a hitch, and the ball is out. That hitch is causing things to be late, and I don't know what's causing that. That's why I was asking you. But I I agree with you that, in general, the decision is right. There are some bad ones, but they're also – he's basically a rookie quarterback, and I try to keep that in mind. When he makes a mistake and throws it to the wrong man or to the wrong spot, I think, okay, that hopefully is correctable. My worry, and I don't want to beat up on love the whole time, my worry is that he's guessing who the open man is. The big thing that I'm seeing that really worries me is that he doesn't check down to 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 the backs coming out of the backfield. I think there's a number of occasions, not least the, the interception play, but there's a number of occasions where the back's open and it might just be a two or three yard pickup, but he's the second or third, clearly the second or third or even fourth receiver in a progression and he doesn't check down to that guy. And that's, and I don't know whether that's mentally instilled to him that actually that guy might be open out there, but actually he's not part of your progression. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but sometimes you have to, as boring as it may be, sometimes you just have to take those check down passes to the backs and say, I'll take the two yards on this play rather than a loss or risk an interception and move on to the next play, live for another day. It concerns me that there doesn't seem to be a, a lot of that going on. And I don't know why. I don't know whether that's a love, whether that's a love issue, whether that's a play calling issue, whether that's, I don't know. It goes back to timing for me. I think he's holding the ball just a little bit too long. And you can see it like, and we can scratch this from the notes uh, down the line, but he is underthrowing a lot of the routes. And the reason the, the reason why they're underthrown is because the sweet spot when when that ball needs to be delivered has passed. It's late. Right? Now the, the ball's now late the rec- coming up. Yeah. Now the receiver is a step or two past that sweet spot when the ball should be delivered, and that equates to like the underthrows that you see. The, the one in particular in this game, they they didn't show this in the in the version that you watched, Dale, but there was one to read on the left sideline. I think you saw it. it. It was just completely underthrown, and like he he had an opportunity. Reed was open, and it's the NFL. 
you have like a very small window to be open and that ball's got to be there in that window. And if you're missing that window, then there's going to be all kinds of problems. And in his case, it's underthrows, which means it's late. He's throwing the ball late or he's putting too much air under it. He has that problem too. Well, that touchdown pass to Dobbs was a terrible throw. Oh yeah. Dobbs had both those guys beat to the corner and he threw the ball where Dobbs was rather than where he could be wide open. Yeah, like two seconds right before he caught that, he was wide open. And if he throws that ball to the corner, it's an easy touchdown. It was still a touchdown. Oh, yeah. So, I'm, I mean, I'm nitpicking that play. I don't want to keep doing that. The other thing, and I don't blame this on Jordan Love. We're moving on to the ugly. We kind of passed over things. It's very consistent that on third and 15, we are going to throw a 18 to 20 yard pass like Peter said. If it's late in the game and it's second and long or third and long, we don't need it all on one fucking play. Get the nine yard completion, like get the 11 yard completion and live to see another day. The interception that he threw in the game that, that against the Raiders, same thing. We didn't need it all on that play. We needed to keep moving the ball forward. That's where Tom Clements has to come and say, listen, Jordan, we need to move the football. We need to get easier and smaller chunks. I agree with that. And the, the, the thing I don't get is on that interception at, at the end. Is, Let's do it now. I don't get the, it was Samari Torre, right? Clearly Torre was the primary receiver on that play because that's the first place he looked, right? So he didn't go through any progressions to get to that. That was the first place he looked and he thought Torre was open. I don't get that play call. I think that's one thing if that guy's the third or fourth guy in your in your progression and i kind of understand that's the way that the play's drawn up you're going to look to the deep guy first but i don't understand calling that that if that's the case calling that play in that situation because you just run the risk it's a low percentage play let's face it at the best at the best of times your kicker's missed one field goal but he's made another but he's a kicker that you know has got a 60 yard leg right yep. so exactly. you you're 10 yards away or whatever whatever it is from being in a potential field goal situation now you may or may not make that field goal but it's probably a hot, much higher percentage chance than making that throw down the field which would needed to have been a nearly a 70 yard throw through the air because he's thrown that all, all the way back from the from the Packers 35 and that's gone down to nearly the 10 yard line in the air diagonally that's a difficult throw to complete at the, at the best of times and your quarterback um, isn't there yet period yeah. He, Todd just said it. He's not accurate. He's throwing the ball late. All those things equate to it's not going to be complete. It's not Aaron fucking Rodgers out there. Yeah. It's almost like, and you know, you touched on it by raising the, the play against the Raiders. It's almost like they keep trying to do this in the in that they'll make one and that will be the, the thing that turns the season around all of a sudden. Sometimes you've got to play the high percentages, you know? For me, I, I don't understand that play call whatsoever. I mean, I was like, what the fuck are we doing right now? I looked online and stuff, and Lafleur was like, oh, that was my call, blah, blah, blah. And Love was saying, that's the play that we have that fits that type of coverage. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, on your fucking little cheat sheet with your magic fucking marker, whatever it is, on your third and 20s or whatever the fuck it was, yeah, it, it like, that's 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 maybe the play with that coverage but there's less than two fucking minutes in the game asshole it's called game management it's called coaching that play for that situation and that coverage yes it fits but guess what there's under two minutes left in the game we don't need like over 20 fucking yards we don't need to go to the for a first down we need to take a chunk here and hopefully get another shot and maybe even get a first down and let our fucking six foot four kicker bomb one to win it. Yep. And it doesn't get any clearer than that. It, I mean, that is just the most basic coaching game management decision that you could possibly make. And Lafleur just looks down his checklist and says, well, here it is. We're looking at this coverage. It's third and 20. This is the play we run. And again, that ball was late as fuck. Because that safety running 30 yards across the field gets to it and picks it off. Yeah, the timing was way the fuck off. I don't know how many quarters that was. The pass was under was underthrown. So when you see that play from behind, he's he's let go of that when when Samari Torre 
is nowhere near open, but it's but it's going to get open, and he's meant to right. run to that corner. Meant to run to the corner, but that ball needed to be about five or ten yards further on. The other safety oh, wouldn't yeah. have got over there. But when you look at, he's throwing that ball from the thirty-five off his back foot. You know that's six, like I said before, sixty-five yards in the air. It would have needed to have got seventy or seventy-five yards in the in the air to do that, and it just no one can I, do I, that. I, no, I, seventy-five I, yards <laughs> off their back foot, even <laughs> off their front foot. With no rush, that's a long throw. <laughs> it's a thought process that goes into this is the play that I don't get. You know, you're in that situation where I understand 10 yards is it's going to put you in a difficult field goal position, but it gives you a shot or it gives you at least another decision to make. Do we go for the field goal or actually can we convert? Right. And let's talk about yeah. what happened right before that. It was fucking Jenkins penalty. That put him in that position in the first place. You're an all pro, dude. And I get that mistakes happen. And I get that, you know, penalties happen. But man, the penalties that drive me the most insane are the ones that didn't impact the play. And that was one of them. He did not need, it was a holding call, wasn't it, Peter? Yeah. Yeah, it was a holding call. He didn't need to. The runner was already past him. And that put us way out of field. I mean, we were driving. I was like, oh, shit, we're going to get in like two more plays and we're in field goal range and we, we got this. And that penalty was huge. The mistakes made in this game, the penalties, the Deguara penalty where he false started on oh the third God. and one. Don't even get me started on that one. And I'll, the I'll fill this whole fucking jar up. <laughs> and the Jenkins penalty, those aren't young guys. You have a young team. You expect young guys to make those mistakes. You don't expect your veterans your guys who have been in the trenches before to make those mistakes in critical situations. Those are the guys that make plays or are supposed to make plays and they're making mistakes. That's a little bit scary. So here's the question for you. And it's not just about this Packers team, but it's you can go back to the McCarthy team and whatever else. And and I can think of one obvious one. But other than that, you know, when was the last time we benched a guy or cut a guy for we just can't take any more of these penalties of this particular guy? Because at some point, you don't you have to send that message to the team that said, we just can't have this yeah. guy? And I know it's difficult, and I know that it's never going to be one of your key starters. You're just never never going to do that. But at some point, you have to send that message to the team that says, at the very least, you're benched. Until you can show that, you, that you're not going to make those mainly mental errors, we just can't have it because it's a two-point game. The Packers have lost this game by two points. This Packers team, for all its faults, for all of everything that's gone on this season – is eight points away from being five and one, can you believe? Now, that would be certainly not reflective of where they are, but when you're that close to, to winning those games, you cannot have penalties. And, and you can't, particularly, you can't have penalties on third and one. You can't have penalties, crucial penalties at the end of the game. So it's not just the penalties, it's when they happen as well. And the other thing I want to throw in here, because this has been my, got banged on this drum for many, many years, timeouts. And at the end of this game, had the Packers had two of the timeouts remaining, yep. they would have got that ball back. Yep, they would have two points down with a, with another chance. And it happened so often, not just with the Packers. If you looked at the Rams game this week, so so the Rams wanted to challenge a play that happened just before the two minute warning. So had it happened the other side of the two minute warning, it would have been an officials. They had no timeouts left, and so couldn't challenge the play. The, the game went down to the two minute warning, and Pittsburgh or whoever ran Pittsburgh, the clock yeah. out. They ran the clock out, but the Rams probably would have won that challenge had they had any timeouts left. And this use of timeouts, particularly on offense, just drives me up the wall, absolutely drives me up the wall. And the Packers used one in this game just before the Degu I think it was the Deguara penalty. They used one to stop the clock and time come around, and then they had the penalty anyway. To me, it's fundamental football. You don't need to be a football coach to understand that those 40 seconds for each of those timeouts, I can never get those 40 seconds back if I need them. It annoys me so much, and it happens throughout the league. It's not just the Packers, but it's it's, it's just not good. The core is just absolutely useless. You talk about benching players. How in the fuck is he not benched right now? He's I mean, one of one. That's the only reason. He's the only right. one exactly. that can play that position. Exactly, exactly. And my point is that... There are a ton of guys probably sitting around right now. They're fucking they bagging groceries. Yes. He is not part of the passing game whatsoever at all. He is a roving blocker. Like he, he's he is a fullback. He is an enhancement to the blocking scheme, whether it's passing or running. That is it. That is his fucking it. role. And he's fucking terrible. And it would be one thing if he was getting mauled, right? Like if he was in the right spot at the right time and like just got absolutely obliterated. Like, okay, I get it. He is 
whiffing missing like charlie brown and fucking lucy like trying to kick a fucking football that's what that's how bad he's fucking missing i don't understand it the penalty on him he just doesn't belong out there the yips of getting that penalty is because he's he's trying to overcome his inabilities and he's so far into his fucking head that he fucking jerks himself and boom i don't know how he's still around the league quite honestly there are dudes selling fucking cars right now that could do a much better job than him he's the guy that you could cut if you go back to what Peter oh my god he's he should have been cut i just don't understand his role even i don't get it go to iowa wherever dominique daphne is bartending or like bouncing and go pull him out of that bar again and tell him dude you're our guy for the rest of the year because you can't be fucking worse than this guy he is terrible and where's the other tight end? Right. Sims? So Sims made that one play. He made one he nearly, he nearly gave that up. So he caught that ball, came back behind the yard, the line to gain, yes. and then just made it over. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, the other rookie guy. Where's Tucker he? Tucker Craft? I don't know. None of them can block. No. None of them. None. My worry is that Tucker Craft is, and I don't want to lump Christian Watson into this, he is the guy that played against lesser guys and looked like an amazing player against FBS guys. Because Tucker Craft looks more lost than the rest of the guys. I don't know if he just ad-libbed it at South Dakota State or what he was doing, but he looks fucking clueless out there. He doesn't look like a player to me yet. I know he's a rookie tight end and he can get better, but right now, today, there isn't a good blocking tight end on this roster. Why would you bring in a fucking rookie, Sims, who got cut from a team that isn't very good? Go get a guy that you know can do this. We talked about this in fucking August. Go find a guy that can block. His only job is to block. And Musgrave, he looks the part. And, and I think that they have to get him more involved. Yes, he he's not a blocker. Well, I mean, bring in a fucking fullback that can. Yes, that's what I'm saying. And, or something, right? Okay. I, I mean, I can live with the fact that Musgrave is marginal or less than marginal as a blocking tight end. The dude is like, I feel like he's the kind of the real deal. And they're not utilizing him for whatever the fuck reason. Peter, you got anything to add to that before we move on to the defense? The debauchery. Okay, here goes. Defensively. What's good, Peter? I've got a lot of bad that will come to or ugly. I guess the good thing, look, it's a qualified good. The good thing is you've held another team to under 20 points. In the NFL, if you hold teams to under 20 points, you have to expect as a defensive unit that it's a game that you should win most of the time. So I think that from a general point, it's a game that you would expect to win. The defense did (laughs) the normal bend but don't break job and held the opposition to 19 points, which you cannot grumble about. I mean, yeah, making them kick field goals is something because you have to assume that your offense is going to score 20 points in a game and you should win. You know, as I watched it, I don't want to get into the negative right away, but as I watched it, even in this short version, there are plays when the defense plays well against the run. They stop the run for a one yard gain or a, a loss. And then the next play, I mean, who knows? It could go for 20. And I'm not smart enough to understand why this play worked and why the next one didn't. I assume it's a one-on-one, like this guy got off his block and was able to defeat the guy. There are plays where the defense flashes things. They do things the right way. They aren't consistent. Yeah, and I think that's the issue here. Is that, and, and, you know, a lot of defense, you can have great players and great athletes and whatever else, but you guys have to be in the right place at the right time. I don't know whether that's a scheme thing, whether that's a player thing, whether that's an inexperienced player thing. But I, I don't know what that is. But a lot of defense, if you fill the 11 gaps, in inverted commas, generally the defense plays pretty well. But it only takes one guy to break down on defense. Somebody doesn't fill the right gap. Yeah. You know, your inside linebacker fills the wrong gap, and all of a sudden they've gone for 20 yards. And I think too much of that appears to happen. I just got to interject this here. We love Mike Wall. We had him on our show, and I hope to have him on again. He shows the behind-the-line camera, the all-22 picture of the third and one. Did you see this on Twitter today? Uh-uh. Uh, on the play that they scored, that Denver scored, but that was called back because of a holding penalty, the Packers have four guys stacked on the center, and they have Walker and Ford. Walker is essentially the defensive end, 
And Ford is the outside linebacker on the left side that they absolutely caved in and walked into the end zone. How did anybody think that was going to work? That your 190-pound safety and your 225-pound linebacker were not going to get crushed on that play? Oh, I did see that. I didn't realize that was Mike Wall that posted that, but I did see that. I'll send it to you, Peter. When you look at the alignment, there's like five guys crashed like around the center. And right? it's that kind of stuff that doesn't, look, as you said, you know, they can make really good plays and Rashan Gary can come up with a sack and they can do this. And then, and then stuff just doesn't seem to make sense. And there's a play in there. You won't, won't have seen it, Dale, on the highlight show, but there's a play in there. I'm absolutely convinced that Quay Walker was lined up covering a wide receiver. Now, Quay Walker's a decent okay. athlete, but I'm sure that's not the, you know, that's not the ideal scenario. I, I can't remember whether it was Judy or, but he was lined up covering one of those guys. Yeah. And you know what? <laughs> we, we talked about it on, on the last podcast where fucking Preston Smith was covering a receiver. <laughs> and then the, when, Barry, the... when Barry was fucking ass after the goddamn game, he was like, we just got to get through the play. That was I know. His fucking response. That's what he said. That's what we he just said. We got to get through it. We fucked that up. We just got to get through it. What? He should what have been the fired fuck are you talking for about? that for that alone. And I'm not saying that Joe Barry. Holy, I'm not fuck. saying the I'm defense lost in this like game. Two rounds. Jesus Christ! I know he's like Preston's just got to survive the play. That's he's just got to survive the play. What? My bad. Survive, survive it, Preston. Play. You're lined up on a dude who runs a four three forty. Good luck. <laughs> survive it. Survive that. What are you, you talking about? <laughs> And this is the good we're doing now. Right. right. Good's <laughs> over. We're done with the good. Do you, you get the feeling, and he's, he's been like this for all the whole, the whole season, but it seems like every successive week, Rizal Douglas is getting more and more mad at somebody. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He's going to fucking throw his helmet at a coach or something. That's going to happen this year. Yes, on the play yeah. that he got picked off. He did. There was he nothing was, he could do. I might be defending rules, Rizal Douglas. Do you? Did you feel like he was like, dude, that's not my fucking guy? Yes, like exactly. You're supposed that. to peel off on yeah. that guy, and I'm not. That's supposed to get the wrong and I think it was. Guy. I think it was Owens yeah. who he was talking to. That's exactly the impression that I got. I, by chance, have turned out to be the closest guy, but he's not my guy. Right, <laughs> because I knew that you weren't going to go there. I tried to run <laughs> yeah. through the five guy pile and yeah. get to the receiver. Absolutely. Yeah, Rasul Douglas is going to have an aneurysm out there. All right, so we're already on the bad. Let's just continue. There's no good. We already cruised through that. When you are down to defensive back number four or five, like you said earlier in the show, Peter, there's going to be a drop-off. Carrington Valentine is a seventh-round pick or whatever he was because he is not as good as Eric Stokes, Jair Alexander, and Rasul Douglas. You can't stop the injuries. I get it. But you can't also leave this young man out on an island. He made so, Jerry so, so. Judy look like a fucking pro bowler. And Jerry Judy's well, about to get cut. Right, so, so, so they don't have Jair Alexander cover the opposition's top receiver man on man all the, all the way through the game. They don't do that, right? They move Jair Alexander around on water. Then they get their seventh round draft pick, who's number five or six on the depth chart. And they line him up man on man for the whole game. So with Valentine, he was getting lit up by Sutton in the beginning of the game. Then it changed. They put Razul Douglas over to Sutton and they put Valentine over to Judy. I think that was a change in the, must have been this at, at like a halftime switch or something because he was getting demolished by Sutton, who is a large rangy receiver. Rough times for Valentine. It was obviously, they were targeting him. I saw you put this in the notes and I, I watched again, the condensed version. Lucas Van Ness right now is a one trick pony. He is going to do one thing. He's not going to do it particularly well well he does not use his hands well he basically is going to bull rush the tackle or the guard or whoever it is he's gonna yeah. duck his shoulder his one move is to duck his shoulder inside which leads to him getting absolutely washed out of some running plays he washes himself out i think that goes back to coaching because this guy is physically gifted we know this. If you keep making the same mistakes week after week after week, it's either not getting coached to fix it or you're not listening to the coaching. Either way, that's a coaching problem. Agreed. I mean, where was he? I mean, and he's only, where did he have? He had 16 snaps, so he didn't play much. So I don't even understand that. Man, I mean, being your overall number one pick, his production has been non-existent. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah, nothing. Well, I think as a general point, I think that the defense is the problem on this team. And that's why, you know, although I mentioned that they'd, they'd held the team 
to less than 20 points. This is a defense where there is a number one draft pick or a high price free agent at every position. And when you put that level of resources into one side of the football, ranking 16th in yards in the NFL and 20th in, y- in points given up in the NFL doesn't cut it. Because not only are you putting that level of resource into that side of the ball, that means that's a level of resource that you're not putting into the other side of the ball. I don't have a problem if you put you have all those number one picks and you have all those free agents, if it delivers, right? And I don't know whether it's players, whether it's scheme, whether it's coaching. The Packers have, in the last 12 drafts, have had 13 first round picks. 12 of those have been on defense. The only offensive player is Jordan Love, right, who's sat for three years. The only high-priced free agents the Packers have signed in recent memory have been defensive players, Preston Smith, Zadarius Smith. Adrian Amos, et cetera, et cetera. Then Devondre Campbell and Russell Douglas. Douglas. And it's like, at what point does 16th, which is right smack bang in the middle of the league, average become not acceptable for the level of resource that you've put into that side of the ball? So it's not surprising we've ended up with a group of young wide receivers that hopefully are all going to learn together, but it's not surprising because you don't have the resource to put into that position because you've picked all of these edge guys and corners and safeties and spent all your money yeah exactly yeah you're going in to the restaurant and you're actually buying the most expensive thing on the menu and they're delivering you something else because that's what that's <laughs> what it what it feels like and that's why i was kind of reticent about the that we held a team to 19 points absolutely they did but you know what with that level of resource they absolutely should be doing that and they should be doing it week in week out and forcing turnovers and making big plays and it all starts there for me and at some point that has to turn around at some point the front office the coaching whatever they've got to start looking at the offensive side of the ball because this is going to happen year in year out if, if we're if, if we're not careful it's a rant but the defense annoys me just because it isn't good enough to just be 16th with all of that that we've spent on it. How cool is it to be like Barry, who sucks as a coach, and then just get number one picks every fucking year? That's awesome. That's job security, brother. Take Van S, I'll take Gary. But I can't make him perform. Great athletes, great players. I can't make this defense work. That's his issue. He needs to go. I don't think he's going to go like during the season. But man, things are not on the up and up. I think he is going to go. And here's why. Good. I mean, he's been bad the whole time. So that's not going to be like some revelation. They're not going to be like, oh, God, Joe Joe Barry is really not good at his job. Jeez, he had a bad week. Right. Oh, He's been bad the whole fucking time. Like, yeah, he's had a bad week the for like time. 30 consecutive weeks. Here's what I think is going to happen. Lafleur at some point is going to start taking a lot of heat. Now, oh, yeah. I listened to his press conference today and they're still kind of tossing him softballs yeah. in the local media. But you keep losing games and we might lose the next five games in a row. Someone's going to have to be the scapegoat. And that is when I think Barry gets fired because Lafleur is like, holy shit, it's either me or him. It's him. Yeah. I think that's what's going to cause Joe Barry to get fired. If we go on a long losing streak here, hopefully the difficulty with it is, you know, and the far brighter and smarter people than me will be able to look at this far more closely than I can is, is it scheme? Is it players? Have they not drafted well? I just don't know. Is it a combination of all of those things? Whatever it is, you can't, you know, you you got to at some point enough is enough, isn't it? Enough is enough. Mm. All right, we're moving on. Wait, 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 wait. Let's talk about the tackling. Go ahead. Talk give take two minutes to talk about the tackling. Well, I did I did some work. I did some research. Yes, so. make it happen, brother. Go. All right. There were, let's see, one, two, three, six starters who had tackling PFF grades under 30. Gary 27.4, Wyatt 26.7, Wooden 28.4, Douglas 29.8, Savage 28.3. Nixon, 24. That's not good, I don't think. I mean, those are all, I mean, starters. When I looked at the PFF stuff, I looked at that, I guess that column or whatever. I was like, holy shit. Look at these tackling grades. Lots of missed tackles in this game. Don't know how to fix that other than coaching. It all keeps going back to that. Really poor tackling in this game. Really poor. Lots of missed tackles. There was one, and and he's not on this list, Walker. That one was, you probably saw it because it was in the replay where he went up high and tried to like twist that guy down. Yep. And the guy just shrugged out of the tackle. He shrugged out of it. Come on. 
Run that guy right to the sideline. I mean, you were six foot four, like yep. two thirty. Hit him in the back and run him off the field. That's all he had to do. Just that guy like, was running towards the sideline. Just grab something, grab a jersey, and just launch him into the sideline. Really bad. A lot of the larger runs for Denver had missed tackles involved. Multiple levels oh, of, of missed tackles. What was it second and thirty one when at that play and they picked up? 25 yards or 27 yards or something. Yes, yes. On Doesn't the, that, on the ground. That always happens, though. The Packers <laughs> yeah. could have like third and 37, and they're going to get 32 <laughs> and make fourth down interesting. That is consistent with the Packers. Third and 18, they're going to get yep. 16. It's funny you mentioned that because I almost put that in the notes. And I was like, eh. But yeah, it, it was an ugly play. Really ugly. And I will just, just finish. They, they just cannot stop the run. And finally, very short on the special teams. All of these things we just said for the last hour and 20 minutes could have been fixed. And I don't expect our kicker to be perfect. But Anders Carlson missed a 43-yard field goal. That he has the leg to make. If he makes that, Packers may win this game. Despite all the other atrocities we've we've talked about. He was going to miss a kick or two this year. And you never know how the game subsequently would, would play out had, had, he, had he made it. But, you know, but that's just, I think it just re-highlights in a way. When you're in close games, you can't have those penalties. You can't have this and you, can't, yeah. and you, and you, and you can't have that. Because in the NFL today, so many games are decided by seven points or less or three points or less. that You only have to look at Minnesota. If you look at the Vikings from last year, they won all of those one-score games, like 10 out of 11 or some ridiculous number. And this year, they can't buy a win in those games. And, and probably the Vikings' true team is somewhere in between last season and this season. But So let's talk about the Vikings. Let's preview them because we play them this week. Playing right now. I'm watching them right now. Jefferson really is hurt. I guess it's nice. They've got through the difficult part of the schedule, having played the Raiders and the, the, the Broncos. Broncos. And now we get into the easier yeah. part. Right. Yeah. Right. This team, Todd just said it, Justin Jefferson being hurt, this couldn't be a better time to play the Minnesota Vikings than right now. But we just lost to probably one of the worst teams in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we'll be any healthier than we were for this game than we will be on Sunday. Granted, Vikings are going to be coming off of a pretty intense game with the 49ers but i don't know i don't like this game at all for the packers to win still led by kirk cousins alexander madison has not been good they brought in cam Akers, who i think is a hot piece of garbage to back him up they don't have much but they do have tj hawkinson who just caught a pass for like 30 yards and the packers are not good at covering anybody in the flat so i'm a little Mm -hmm. concerned that hawkinson can do something against the packers Is Ezra Cleveland playing in the game right now? Because he is out according to this depth chart. They should be playing a backup unless he comes back for next week. They've had problems with their interior line. They have not been good inside. So that bodes well, although Packers mostly rush the passer from the outside. Peter, what are your thoughts on this game? So Minnesota's two and four, right? Three of their four losses have come to the Eagles, the Chargers, and the Chiefs. They're probably better than two and four. This is a game that if the Packers weren't on this three-game losing skid, you would have expected, I think, the Packers to pull this one out. But I think this Vikings team is better than its record. And right now, the Packers are playing worse than their record. So I think this is a hugely, hugely difficult game. It's at Lambeau Field, which is obviously helpful to Green Bay. But it's difficult to work out. And and, and we didn't mention this specifically, but it's difficult to work out how if the Packers don't score any first-half points, how they win games. Really hard to uh, win games when you're not scoring in the first half and you're playing from behind yeah. every game. Yeah, I think this is a really, really tough game. It's a tougher game now than it looked before the season started, even though Jefferson's not playing. And it's a noon game, which means Kirk Cousins is going to be at his absolute peak. Captain Kirk always plays good at noon. If it was a primetime game, I'd think the Packers had a better shot in this game. I mean, you don't see guys that... There are no superstars on this team right now. Not on offense. Todd's favorite Packer or former Packer, Dean Lowry, is their starting defensive end. That says something for the talent that they have. Harrison Smith is like 116 years old. I mean, was a really good player. Daniel Hunter, I always thought was going to be elite. I don't think he's elite. But again, the Packers aren't good right now. This is the right time to be playing the Vikings. They're going to get punched in the mouth all night long against San Francisco. They're going to be beat up. But I don't see an avenue unless somehow the Packers can figure out how to scheme guys open and and make magic on offense. I don't know how they win. 
I don't see any magic coming from Matt LaFleur. I need Jordan Love to start playing better, but I don't think he's all the problem. I think there's so many things to fix on this team that I don't think we can do it. I don't like this game at all. I think the Packers lose this game by maybe as much as two touchdowns. I know it's at Lambeau, but that's not a a factor anymore. I don't even care that Jefferson is out, and I don't even care that they're playing the 49ers as we speak. There's so many different issues, both sides of the football. They're not going to get fixed. You had a bye week to play the worst team in the NFL. The worst team in the NFL. You can blame everything on injuries all you want, but this is the NFL. I think the Packers could lose lose this game pretty soundly. 28-10. I will say the Packers lose this game also. I think they will lose 24-14. I think the Vikings kick loads of field goals. I think it's 26-16. It's like a scoregami game. <laughs> it could be. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. But I just think it's one of those. I, th- I think that's the Packers' defense modus operandi is they'll give up the odd touchdown in a couple of touchdowns a game, but loads of field goals. So thanks for listening to episode 137 of the Average Cheese Podcast, the Sam Shields episode. Go, Pack Go. Go, Pack Go. go.